It's Friday, June 11th, 2021. And from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is the Pennsylvania Legacies Podcast. I'm Josh Rollerson. Everybody knows trails are good for business. They boost nearby property values, generate spending at local businesses, and help employers attract top talent to the area. Over the years, benefits like these have motivated lots of Pennsylvania cities and towns to embrace trail development. And for many post-industrial areas in particular, trail-based tourism has been an economic lifeline. But in the face of all this opportunity, are we missing the point? Who are these amenities really for? I think that trails should serve local residents before anyone else. I mean, we should build trails for our local residents and then, you know, anyone who comes and enjoys them from other places, that's that's added bonus. Our guest on this episode helped pioneer the community development concept of trail towns, a model that began in Pennsylvania and has since been adopted by communities across North America. In her new book, she argues that the key to success for any trail project is authentic, organic, community-level support. What does it look like when towns decide on trails? We'll talk about it coming up on this episode of Pennsylvania Legacies, right after a news update from PEC's Lily Jones. Supporters of Pennsylvania joining the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, or REGI, say the carbon trading program will boost Pennsylvania's economy and support the state's transition to clean energy. A panel of business and community leaders gathered for a virtual press conference last week, to discuss the economic benefits of REGI. Leanne Leiter, Director of Policy and Research at the Keystone Energy Efficiency Alliance, said REGI is an investment in Pennsylvania's future. Now, we all know that Pennsylvania has long been an energy leader and will continue to be. And REGI is simply an opportunity to launch the next phase of that legacy. The program could generate between $300 and $500 million for the state in its first year and create thousands of jobs. Dr. Jonathan Warnock, Associate Professor of Geology at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, says it will also help revitalize communities that have been struggling since the decline of the coal industry. We need new job sources and our workers need training to get them into these new jobs. We need Reggie and we need laws allowing Reggie funds to come to the counties whose economies have been left behind by coal. The rulemaking to link Pennsylvania with Reggie was approved by all four of DEP's advisory committees last month. The Environmental Quality Board is expected to vote on the rulemaking this summer. If approved, Pennsylvania will officially join REGI in 2022. Weather researchers are predicting an above-average 2021 Atlantic hurricane season, which runs from June 1st to November 30th. They predict 17 named storms for the season and that about half will become hurricanes. The report also predicted a 45% probability of major hurricanes making landfall on the East Coast. The average for the last century is 31%. This is just one of a number of reports warning of increasingly extreme weather or environmental conditions this summer. The Department of Health warned Pennsylvanians this week to prepare to practice heat safety this summer, as hot days become more frequent and heat waves get longer. High tick populations are also predicted for this summer due to a mild winter and wet spring. The Wolf Administration warned Pennsylvanians last week that tick-borne illnesses are prevalent across the state. These reports come just weeks after the Wolf Administration released its 2021 Climate Impacts Report, which predicted significant increases in average temperature and rainfall across the state by mid-century, based on a worst-case scenario climate model. Finally, the Arboretum at Penn State will soon open its new pollinator and bird garden to the public. The garden has the ambitious goal of attracting every pollinator native to central Pennsylvania. It will house about 100,000 plants at its completion. 
The plant diversity will help track insects, which will then help attract a variety of birds. There is not an official opening date for the garden yet, but Arboretum staff say they hope it will be open to the public by the end of the month. For Pennsylvania Legacies, I'm Lily Jones. The Trail Town program launched in 2007 along the Great Allegheny Passage in southwestern PA. Since then, it's become an international model for creating the kinds of conditions in which trailside communities can prosper, not just economically, but also socially and culturally. Amy Camp was with the program from the very beginning, and the experience led her to start a consulting business of her own, Cycle Forward, specializing in trail-centered community building. The firm now has clients all over the U.S. and Canada. Amy's new book synthesizes those lessons into practical advice for communities trying to define their relationship to their local trail system. The title is Deciding on Trails, Seven Practices of Healthy Trail Towns. And the author is here for her second appearance on Pennsylvania Legacies. Amy, welcome back. Thanks, Josh. It's good to be here. I want to go straight to the thesis of this book because it, you know, it's kind of in tension with something that I should speak for myself, I tend to take for granted. And that is the sort of the vaunted economic benefits of investing in trails and outdoor recreation, and, uh, you know, which is a real thing, right? But you start out by offering a sort of a, a corrective to that mindset. The idea that there is some danger inherent in overemphasizing the economic dimension of this. Could you talk about that? How did you come to that conclusion? And why did you make that kind of the focus for starting out with the book? I came to that conclusion over time. Um, I started out uh, working in trails, uh, emphasizing the economic benefit of trails. And that's really important, by the way. It's often what hooks our decision makers. Um, it's the tangible difference that you sometimes see in communities and for people who um, live and operate small businesses in them. Uh, the economic impact is not to be underestimated. However, I um, noticed uh, at some point in time that we had come to overemphasize the economic benefit of trails and and weren't really, I think, as a trails community, really touching on the other many benefits of trails. I mean, if you just go back to the triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit, I think what we were leaving out of the um, conversation were the local people and how um, trails can improve quality of life. And I wanted to speak to that in the book. The sort of vehicle for this approach that you're advocating is this concept of trail towns, which a lot of our listeners will be familiar with, others might not. When did you first encounter that concept and how did it sort of become part of your thinking about trails and communities? Right. I first encountered uh, the concept of trail towns whenever I was hired to help implement the trail town program along the Great Allegheny Passage. And uh, that uh, program, which was launched in 2007, uh, is the first known trail town initiative. It, it was a multi-community program that became a multi-state program um, to help communities along that trail to better connect to it and better benefit from it. And like I said, we, we were you know pretty focused on trail tourism. And again, that's important. But I think what I eventually came around to was the realization that not all of those communities had embraced the trail. Um, you know, maybe some of the community leaders did and, and some of the businesses did, 
but um, that there's not always an underlying trail culture in trail communities. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's why I wanted to um, speak to this component of trail towns, which is the importance of having a culture in which, you know, the community has uh, decided to embrace trails and, and not just for, for economic purposes. It's almost like the emphasis on the town rather than the trail in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the gap. And in that case, I know trail town is a formal designation that means a lot of specific things, but it it doesn't have to be right. This could also just be sort of an aspirational label that you could put on your community if you're if you're looking in this direction. What is it like? How do you how does one qualify as a trail town? What makes a trail town to you? It depends on where you are. The program that the Progress Fund and and the Allegheny Trail Alliance uh, imagined and implemented along the gap is the the starting point was the starting point for trail towns. Um, But then, you know, trail advocates and other places and community advocates took the concept and made it their own. Um, and, And that continued to happen. That's happened over the last 15 years or so. And Um, What it means to be a trail town in Pennsylvania is different from what it means to be a trail town in Alaska, you know, as compared to what it means along the Appalachian Trail or in uh, in Ontario. Um, There are lots of different ways of interpreting and implementing this idea of trail towns. It it certainly can be a designation, but I think at the core, it's an attitude. It's a it's a decision. Um, and again, that's why I called my book Deciding on Trails, because I believe that every community located along a trail um, has the opportunity to to decide to embrace and invest in their trail or trails. And, um, you know, if you have a formal program, great, but there are also lots of things that can be done without even having a formal program. And it does kind of have to come from within the community, right? I mean, maybe with some help or some nudging along from the outside, from someone like you or, for, or, or like Peck, but generally this has to be a sort of community driven process on some level. Yeah, I really think that it does to achieve the trail culture that we're talking about. Um, You know, whenever you have a program that is built around a long distance trail, like the Gap or the Appalachian Trail, or you have a program that's run by state agency, which exists in a few states, there is this outside entity that is able to help to, to push the initiative along. But at the end of the day, I, you have to have local community people that believe in the opportunity that um, trails provide to their community and are investing in, you know, implementing um, projects in, in their community to become more trail friendly. So when you're talking about the difference between a community that has a strong trails culture uh, and one that doesn't, a phrase that comes up a lot that you, that you use a lot is, is pain points. Can you define that term and give me some examples? What are pain points that make some communities reluctant to decide on trails? And then how do, how do trail advocates, how should trail advocates address those, those pain points? Quite simply, a, a pain point is a problem, whether real or perceived. If, if it's an issue that brings somebody that a little bit of heartburn and frustration or, or a great amount of frustration, um, that's a pain point. And uh, there are pain points in every community. And there are, are certainly pain points in trail communities. And, you know, some of them have to do with the trail and, and some of them don't. Pain points related to the trail you know, might be um, businesses aren't open later in the evenings whenever trail users are coming off the trail. Or somebody might say, oh, I don't really feel like the trail is for me. That's a pain point. 
maybe a community has invested in infrastructure and, and invested in their trail, but it's not being used like they'd like it to. That's a source of pain and frustration. So there are so many different pain points related to trails and to communities. And really, this is less about trails and more about community. The conversations have to be held. <laughs> you know, uh, whenever there are issues and problems in a community, there has to be an effort at the community level to address them and, and to do good old fashioned community building. That's really what's needed. And, you know, it just so happens that, you know, we're talking about trails and they provide, you know, certain opportunities and also come along sometimes with sources of frustration. In other ways, trails are able to alleviate pain points. Well, it's kind of a point of pride for Pennsylvania that the Trail Towns model kind of originated here, and you were there pretty close to the inception, from what I understand. And this is an approach that has since then spread all over North America and the U.S. and Canada. Since your your day-to-day work involves helping communities and organizations move these kinds of projects forward, and you do that all over the country, what have you seen out there in the area of how the idea of, of Trail Towns has been interpreted has been applied and leveraged by different communities in different regions. Well, first, I want to speak to what you said about Trail Towns being a point of pride. I'm, I'm glad that you said that. I certainly <laughs> feel that. I wrote in the book that Pennsylvania could be considered the home state of Trail Towns. Um, you know, we, we did the Trail Town program along the Gap, and then, you know, it was adapted along other trails. Uh, Kathy McCollum went on to do the River Town program. So there's a lot of trail town and now outdoor town initiatives that, that are throughout the state of Pennsylvania. And that's pretty cool. As for how the model has been adapted and used in different ways, you know, one of the first entities after us to start a program was the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. And um, they created their trail community program. And just think about how cool this is. The Trail Town program was designed for a 150-mile rail trail. And the Trail Conservancy took that program, made it their own, and applied it to a 2,200-mile footpath with multiple states. So they really took it and really just adapted it. And it's just kind of mind-blowing to me, the, the fact that they could apply it to that kind of geography. Something that I love about their program is that I think they were really early in pushing for that community culture that, that embraces the trail and connects to it. They uh, have a trail in every classroom model that they use to get kids out and classes out onto the trail. And they, um, you know, require communities to, you know, meet certain criteria. First of all, they had have to apply to become a designated trail community. And I thought that was like a step in the right direction for for trail towns. And um, the communities have to meet criteria to receive and to maintain that designation. Um, One of them is to um, host an annual celebration. You know, so there, there you have it. Like, that's not about the economics. That's about the local community people celebrating and, and enjoying the Appalachian Trail. So that's one that I'd like to mention. And then another interesting thing is that the state of Kentucky came along not that long after and decided to operate a trail town program out of its office of adventure tourism. I think I have that right. And that was the first initiative that was run by a state agency. Um, And many years later, Florida created a program and Michigan created a program. So to me, that's an interesting 
variation from from the traditional model that's based on a single trail. And just sort of through happenstance of timing, I guess, you were working on this book as the COVID-19 pandemic happens. And as a result, you're able to actually include a chapter on this episode in our history as it relates to trails, something that, as you know very well, Peck has been paying close attention to. You've been on this podcast talking about exactly that subject. And this is another area where, you know, we have sort of our established talking points that reflect thinking and assumptions about the role that trails play in communities and particularly how that plays out in something like a global pandemic. I guess the question is, what from your vantage point, has this crisis taught us or what can it teach us about the role of trails in different kinds of communities uh, in Pennsylvania, nationwide, whatever kind of uh, frame you want to put it in? You know, I think anyone who's who's walking down the street and past their local park or trail or or on their local trail could tell you that trails have been busier. I mean, the research that we did, you know, in terms of how the pandemic impacted Pennsylvania trails is, you know, the results are aligned with with what's um, been, you know, observed around the country, probably around the globe. People are taking to trails and to nature as a way of, of coping and as a way of just, you know, enjoying all of their newfound free time uh, during the pandemic. So it's it's been wonderful to see that happen. And I think the trails community is is really paying close attention to how that has all unfolded and how to continue to keep people interested in in getting outside. I think something else that that was interesting uh, about the pandemic's impact on trails and trail communities was just to realize that that there are a lot of nuances to it. You know, I wrote in the book that bike shops did really bang up business all year. They couldn't keep up. They can't get inventory in and and they they can't, you know, satisfy all of their customers' needs. So I guess you could say that the pandemic benefited a lot of bike shops, uh, economically speaking, but take a bed and breakfast located along a destination trail or a restaurant or a shuttle service located along a destination trail. And their 2020 business story was a lot different, you know, um, just because there was a drop off in travel. And so um, there's a lot to still understand, I think, and, and there's a lot of nuance in how trail communities were affected by the pandemic. You know, something else that I think that we have learned is about um, the resiliency of people and communities. And Whenever I first set out to write that chapter on the pandemic, it was going to be exclusively on the pandemic. And, uh, but then I realized, well, there's a bigger story here. Um, and, you know, it's titled Navigating Pandemics and Other Hard Times um, because trail communities are always facing different challenges. You may have seen I talked about extreme weather and, you know, whenever there might be a trail detour or your main street is torn up with construction, there, there are always issues that, you know, often small rural communities are facing when it comes to, to trails and tourism. And I think that community resiliency piece is, is really important that we work on ensuring that, that our communities are as resilient and vibrant as possible and, and adaptive. Yeah, and there's that again, bringing it back to, you know, is this serving actual community needs? Is this responding to 
demands being made in the community. I mean, at the same time as like the economic picture with COVID has been kind of a mixed bag. At the same time, it seems like that other aspect of it, that non-economic, that sort of quality of life and resiliency and all those other good things that really play out at the local level, that really comes to the fore in a situation like this. Yeah, it sure does. And I mean, I think that trails should serve local residents before anyone else. I mean, we should build trails for our local residents and then, you know, anyone who comes and enjoys them from other places, that's that's added bonus, right? Last year, whenever we were being told not to travel and to find the trail close, your close to home trail, right? The trails that are 15 minutes from you. Um, it, it was local people who were going out and, and using our trails and, and keeping them active and, to me, one of the lessons of the pandemic was to remember that trails should be serving a local audience. Well, this actually goes to another really important issue right now, in particular, as the trails community, like so many other uh, sectors of society, is really grappling with these issues of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, specifically like disparities in access to who can actually get to a trail within five minutes of their home. How do they use it? What kind of experience do they have? What are their expectations? All of that. Can we make that connection and expand it out a little bit more and talk about what can be learned by viewing these more kind of social justice issues, if you will, through the lens of something like trail towns? You know, local people don't always feel welcome to trails. Mm-hmm. And the way that I think of it is, is some people don't need an invitation to trails. I mean, they just find their nearest trailhead and they, they go and they use it and they enjoy it. But there are a lot of other people that just see trails and other, you know, outdoor amenities as being not for them. And I think that what we need to do as a trail community is to really challenge that narrative and to help to inform people um, about trails and and how they can come and uh, use them and enjoy them. I write in Deciding on Trails about extending the invitation. And we in the realm of trail towns have um, for a long time understood how to invite trail users into our community. But I think a lot of um, people just weren't really actively thinking about how to invite local people out to trails. And Whenever we're talking about equity and inclusion, like I said, there are some people that do require an invitation and we need to make that invitation appealing. We, we really need to find ways to activate our trails and our outdoor spaces. And um, that could be through events and programs and challenges. There is no shortage of creative ideas, uh, but, but at the end of the day, we have to ensure that, that local residents feel welcome and and that they want to enjoy trails and and that they they view the trails as theirs that there's a sense of ownership and beyond the idea of making everybody in our communities feel welcome to use and enjoy trails there's also an opportunity to ensure that that they have the opportunity to be part of the trail economy to uh, improve their life chances by uh, opening a small business or getting a job with a trail business, and that residents also have the opportunity to be a part of community building and you know are able to help make decisions about trails and and how they uh, intersect with our communities. The book is Deciding on Trails: Seven Practices of Healthy Trail Towns, and I do I should emphasize that we've been talking about these kind of high level 
ideas. And there's a lot of that. It makes it very readable and engaging. But at the same time, there's a lot of practical advice for communities and community leaders who are interested in going down this road. So uh, this would be the point where you tell our listeners how to get a hold of a copy. Right. You can visit my website, cycleforward.org slash book. And it's right there. It's also available on Amazon. And if you're able to order it through your local bookseller, even better. All right, Amy, thanks again for being on the show. Josh, thank you so much. We will, of course, include links and information on Amy Camp's new book, Deciding on Trails, Seven Practices of Healthy Trail Towns, in the notes for this episode. You can find that information, as always, at PECPA.org. That is the Pennsylvania Environmental Council's website where you can listen back to our entire back catalog of this show and find out more about what's happening in PEC's trails and outdoor recreation programs. Also, watersheds, energy and climate, communities and landscapes, and lots more in the conservation and environmental space all over the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Pennsylvania Legacies. That'll wrap up the program for this time. I hope you can join us for the next one. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.